Okay. Guys, we are talking about Yahweh Ezer. And you're thinking to yourself, never heard of that before. And uh, that's understandable. Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell. So, uh, we're basically continuing to examine ways that we can um, apply to come out of being plundered, come out of being imprisoned, which is where we started four or five weeks ago, and come out of places of plunder and come out of prisons to a broad place where we can stand. Broad places of strength. So let me say that again. We are continuing to examine ways or means to apply in our lives to come out of plunder and to come out of prison into broad places of strength. And so one of the names I want to examine today and is this thing is this name that uh, uh, sometimes God is referred to as and it's Yahweh Ezer. It's not even a name. It's just just uh, a title given to one of his characters, Yahweh Ezer. And Yahweh Ezer means the Lord my helper. Yahweh Ezer means the Lord my helper. And you see some of it in Psalm 33:20. The Lord my helper, that's what Yahweh Ezer means. The Lord my helper. You see it in Psalm 33:20. But it's not Psalm 33:20 that I want to look at today. I want to look at another scripture and then examine two concepts or two precepts uh, that we need to consider. Uh, and that scripture is Hebrews 13:6, Hebrews 13:6. And here's what Hebrews 13:6 says. Let me read it. Hebrews 13:6. Bernice, will you be needing a translation in French or are you okay? Okay. Hebrews 13, verse 5 onwards. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And that's what I want to examine. Guys, uh, our understanding of the word helper, if I asked you to define helper, how would you define it? Helper. Ryan, helper. Quickly, define. Someone who helps. helps. Brilliant. (laughs) Anybody else? (laughs) Someone who knows what you need and is able to facilitate. Helper. Okay, sorry, say that again. Comfort under every circumstance. Someone who upholds you, lifts you up. Someone who lifts you up and upholds you. Assistant. And these are the words I, I thought of too. And so, so stuff I've written is our understanding or my understanding of helper is someone who assists or contributes or plays an invaluable part in the fulfillment of a purpose or fulfillment of an assignment. But unless this definition changes, the scripture is of little value to us. Our, our, our whole thought of helper is one who assists, one who contributes towards yeah. something getting better, one who sometimes may play an invaluable role in helping me f- fulfill an assignment. But unless this definition changes, this scripture and the character of God it reveals is of little value. Unless this definition changes, this scripture that I've read out, Hebrews 13.6, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. This scripture and the character of God it reveals is of little value. Guys, God is not someone who assists, 
God is not someone who contributes. God is not someone who occasionally plays an invaluable role in the fulfillment of your life purpose or in assignments that you have. Our definition of the word helper has so diminished this, this, this character of God in our lives. Because when we think the Lord is our helper, it's like saying, I, I can do it, but I'd really like your help. And it goes against the grain of everything God is trying to say in terms of Yahweh Ezer, the one who helps. The only way you will realize the full impact of the Lord is my helper is when you actually begin to see yourself as absolutely helpless in every given situation. The only way you and I will realize the full impact of the Lord is my helper is when you actually begin to see yourself as absolutely helpless in every situation. Otherwise, he's an assistant. Otherwise, he's an assistant. Through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. Good, good, Maria. Because God talks to me through these verses. Uh-huh. Wow. And about Tuesday, I was going to work and I was talking to God. I said, God, I know you are a, you are a healer inside me, but I don't understand why I'm, why I'm going through this pain. And God was stealing me, me inside, and I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I then, when I went to work and the customer came, it was a new customer. I didn't know him. And I was testifying about Jesus. And it was very interesting. That customer said to me, I'm not a believer. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't believe I don't believe in Goran, I don't believe in Muhammad, but uh, I'm a speaker. And uh, I talked to him about Jesus and he said to me, I love I read Bible, the New Testament and I'm I, I love about the Philippians and I said to him, teach a scripture and he said to me, Philippians four thirteen and and I said to him, I can do everything through Christ that giving me strength and I realized that God talks to me through that person remind me of that scripture that Praise God. whatever yeah. you do you do not do it by your by your own strength yeah. I give you a strength to do it absolutely absolutely guys the thing is because we think of him as assisting us as perhaps making a, a god sized contribution to what we are doing and sometimes playing an invaluable role, especially in very difficult situations, that is what we render him as in terms of helper. But again, like I was saying, the only way you will realize the full impact of the Lord is my helper, or the full impact of Yahweh Ezer, is when you actually begin to see yourself as absolutely helpless in any given situation. So every time you you usurp responsibility, for managing the areas of your life, you basically abdicate dependence on God. Every time you usurp the responsibility of managing your life, because we are grown-ups, 
we are able, every time you usurp the responsibility of managing your own life, you re- I end up abdicating my dependence on God. For some strange reason, guys, we have this conceited, self-righteous idea that you and I can do a thing if God will help us. For some strange reason, we have this conceited, (laughs) self-righteous idea that you and I can do a thing or two if God will help you. See, the difference between... uh, Like, when you look at Gabrielle, she does not have that conceited, self-righteous idea that she can do anything. There is this helplessness, which is why she can turn and say... Mariana is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? But as kids grow up, you'll find that Tavis perhaps can't say it with the same innocence as Gabriel can. And then we grow up to where we are at and we have this conceited self-righteous idea that there are things that I can do quite well. So sure, I wouldn't mind some help, but really, not the kind of help that God wants to give. And so God will allow you to go on till you break the neck of your ignorance on some obstacle. (laughs) God will allow you to go on till you break the neck of your ignorance on some obstacle. (laughs) (laughs) Now it comes with a warning. getting worse by the year. (laughs) There are reasons why you don't recognize your helplessness, guys. Or why I don't recognize my helplessness. (laughs) One of the reasons I don't recognize my helplessness is because, yeah, that's the positive side of it, Wayne. Uh, um, One of the reasons I don't recognize my helplessness is just because of human pride in terms of what I do well. Like, um, I've begun to cultivate the habit of um, being helpless in terms of teaching, being helpless in terms of the prophetic. Because a time had come about six months ago where uh, th- there is a pride in just, just the grace in me, there's a pride over that too. And so one of the reasons I don't recognize my helplessness is because of my human pride. Two, it's because of my expertise. I've been doing this since 94. I've been leading worship since 94 at least. Or actually even before 91. That's a heck of a lot of years to be leading worship. There's a degree of expertise that comes with it. And yet this morning, I was telling the Lord, Father, I want to be both able to enter into a place in worship that I've never been before and help others to enter into it too as one who is leading worship. That's why I was getting so excited about that song. Sing like never before, oh my soul. Because surely there are infinite places to go to in God. Third reason is because of our view that God perhaps is standoffish and capricious. That's one of the reasons we don't think of God as helper. Because we think God perhaps is standoffish and capricious, as in whimsical. He sometimes does, sometimes doesn't. We asked this question two, three weeks ago, guys. Have you? I don't know if you did your homework. Or I don't know if you've been doing your homework over the last two weeks. If, if you remember that teaching on the Good Shepherd... 
we talked about how over the next two weeks we will follow a pattern in the way we approach God during the day. And I um, want to say to you that I've been practicing. So I hope you've been, because if you're not, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, so here's the thing, guys. We asked this question, how do you uh, identify God's perception of you? In here. How do you think God is towards you? Yeah, that was the question. How do you think God is towards you in here? Not what you know here. Here we know God loves us, God is kind, God is this, God is that. We know it here. Here, how do you think God is towards you? And we said for some of us, God may be in our, in our heart, we think, but he's always judgmental or I've always got to try and please him. Or he's standoffish. I know, I know he's done a great lot of things for me. I know people are getting healed and all that stuff. But most of the day, I think he's standoffish. It's, it's not that uh, uh, he, he approaches me always and wants to be with me. There's a standoffishness. We ask that, uh, go and ask yourself that question. Because strange answers will come out. From each of us will come a different answer as to how you, how you think God is towards you. And I, I can almost guarantee that there will be no one in this room who will be able to say uh, that God is just a complete father and friend and he's just intensely in love with us. All that is in here. Very few of us think like that here. True. Sometimes we don't understand why we are going through this difficult time. No, the difficult, I would separate both issues, Mariam. I'd say the difficult time has nothing to do with God allowing it, because if he allowed it, then he wouldn't rebuke it. So in that sense, um, it's a separate issue. But yes, um, uh, the the, our response to the issues of life and our response to experiences, our response to ministry is colored by how we think God is towards us. So if God is standoffish, it will take me longer to trust him. I'll give you an example. Eh? Um, Eric was pondering on this question um, uh, some nights ago after I asked it in Vernon. And he's awake at 2 o'clock at night. And suddenly he hears a scream from his son's room. And his son says, Daddy! And Eric just gets up from the bed and dashes into Luke's room. And he's standing there and even as Eric was telling the story, um, he suddenly realized that God turns up in a second when you call. But very rarely do we think that God turns up with that kind of speed at your call. Many of us who've been through experiences that are taking forever have this idea that it'll take a while before this God responds. God's Boy, is he slow in getting to his feet. And yet, in the middle of the night, Luke says, Daddy, and Eric is there in a flash because his son just called. And he's standing there saying, What happened, Luke? And Luke responds saying, Daddy, it's pitch black in the room because he has two nightlights and one had died. And, the other, and when he went to sleep, it was on, but at some point during the night it had died. So it's pitch black. And he's saying, Daddy, it's pitch black. And so one of the nightlights had died. The other nightlight was upstairs in a fort that Luke had built with cushions and stuff like that. 
And so he says, uh, um, Daddy, the light is upstairs. And so Eric says, don't worry, look, I'll go get it. And he says, no, Daddy, I'll get it. And so he goes up uh, stairs and uh, says, uh, it's in the fort. And Eric says, um, don't worry, son, I'll get it for you. And he says, no, Daddy, I'll get it. He says, but son, I can get it easily. No, Daddy, if you get it, you'll spoil the fort. <laughs> you'll spoil the fort. And so he creeps into the fort. And he's trying hard to yank at the light. And he can't get to it because he, he, he's too small for it. And Eric is standing there and watching. He's saying, son, I know exactly how to do it. I will not break your fort. I'll move a couple of cushions and I'll put them back. I'll pull the plug out of the socket and I'll get it. No, daddy, you can't come into my fort. You will spoil the fort. I want to get the light. And he struggled and he struggled and he struggled. And finally, after a lot of struggling, Eric went, took two cushions out, pulled off the light, held his son's hand, took him back to bed, plugged the light on. And it was like a parable of our lives. Calling for help. And then not willing that God come and fix it. Because after all the help we call out for, you can't because you will spoil my fort. It is the condition of my life and your life, may I say. The first thing that touched me is as soon as he said, Daddy, his dad was there. And I was thinking of it after I heard the story from Eric two days ago. And I thought, Father, I'll never again doubt your immediate arrival at my cry. I'll never doubt it again. Because if you as fathers being evil know how to respond, how much more, my Heavenly Father, as it says in the book of Luke. I said, I'll never doubt it again. That when I ask for things, even though there is no feeling, even though there is no uh, uh, taste or sense of it, that you are there, Jesus, because this is, your, this, is your, this is your very nature that is being expressed here in this case through Eric. And then once he comes, and once I've asked for help, to yes, go with him upstairs, but now to have the ability to be helpless so that my father can help me. So that my father can help me. What is the fort in your life, Matt, that you don't want him to dismantle? What is the fort in your life, Jacob, that you don't want him to touch because it'll, it'll mess things up temporarily? What is the fort in your life, Maurice, Wayne? You can cry for help, but no, don't mess with this. But he's not messing with it. He's not messing with it. That's, that's not, uh, I, I think that's a lie that's being perpetrated by some preacher some time ago. That, I, I'm not saying you are, I'm just saying it's a lie that his timing is not my timing. Gabrielle couldn't care two hoots about timing because she knows her mom knows the time. We are the ones who think that it is not, this is my time and this is God's time. No, no, no. Once you trust helplessly, there is no need to be afraid of timing. Gabriel never says, but it's time to feed. But I guess my time is different from your time. No, all she does is, wah! 
Uh, she doesn't do that. Uh, she's a much finer girl than that. But, but the point is, this whole thing of timing would not be an issue if I was helpless. The whole thing of timing becomes an issue because I want my fort constructed a certain way and served a certain way by the God of the universe and therefore timing kicks in. Yeah. There will be times when you ask for help, and Eric is waking to do this So there's also an aspect. I mean, not touching that today. We are talking about only about childlikeness, where there is. It's okay to assume responsibilities for something, but today, if you notice, I use the word when you usurp responsibility. When you usurp responsibility, and that's different, because there is a time when I have to move from childishness to greater maturity to greater maturity. And that is when there are times when the father will say, I've taught you well, I want to see you begin to walk. But I'm not talking about that at all today. I'm talking about rendering ourselves helpless if God wants to be Yahweh Ezer to you. I mean, that's why Paul does say, when I was like a child, I thought like a child. Uh, Gordon Fee puts it this way. Um, uh, when the sun comes up, the streetlights are extinguished. So there is a time for that. But till then, uh, th that's a separate topic. Today we're talking about being helpless. So those are the reasons, guys. Human pride, expertise. Because your view of God is... as. Do you understand, Maria, what I'm trying to say? Timing is only an issue because we are not helpless. It, 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 it's not an issue once I'm helpless. Because now Yahweh Ezer is perfect in his time. And so I don't have a contrary time. So let me read these lines just as is, without explaining it so that we hear it one more time. Our understanding of helper is someone who assists or contributes or plays an invaluable part in the fulfillment of a purpose or an assignment. Unless this definition changes, this scripture and the character of God it reveals is of little value. God is not someone who assists, not someone who contributes or occasionally plays an invaluable role in the fulfillment of your life. The only way you and I will realize the full impact of the Lord is my helper is when you actually begin to see yourself as absolutely helpless in every given situation. Every time I usurp responsibility for managing areas of my life, I abdicate dependence on God. As long as you have a conceited, self-righteous idea that you can do a thing if God will help you, God will allow you to go on till you break the neck of your ignorance over some obstacle. There are reasons why you don't recognize your helplessness. A. Human pride. B. Expertise. C. Because of your view of God as standoffish or capricious or judgmental or slow. D. Sometimes we see God as one who may help but spoil what I have poured my sweat into to build. That's what happened with Luke. Finally the boy went to bed. Nightlight was put on. And Eric stood there saying, Son, why were you stopping me from bringing you light? Why were you struggling so hard, preventing me from helping you bring light into your life? 
In any area, guys, where I need help, I must come to the king as helpless. In any area of my life where I need help, I must come to the king, not as can you assist, assist me, but I must come to the king as helpless. Helplessness, uh, 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 it's a beautiful thing. To be helpless is basically to be disrobed of self-reliance. To be helpless is to be disrobed of self is to be disrobed, disrobed of self-reliance on my abilities. It is to be unruffled, and I'll explain this, unruffled by my insufficiency, it is to be excitedly dependent on Papa, excitedly dependent on Papa. And last, and the fourth one is refusal to claim ownership of grace and gifts in my life, of the graces, of the graces and gifts in my life, and I'll explain it. Um, Christy, I don't know if anybody told you, but the preacher here goes on for a while. Huh? Okay. The first one was a disrobed of self-reliance on my abilities. Disrobed. So uh, helplessness is to be disrobed of self-reliance on my abilities. So that's the first one. Because I have abilities. You have abilities. And there's nothing wrong with them. They're given by God. But it's disrobed of it. Not to, not to wear it as a robe that now becomes um, that which opposed me because then there's no need of help to be disrobed as in aware of it but not uh, uh, but a greater awareness that there is a helplessness in which the sufficiency of God can do well uh, second one is beautiful unruffled by my insufficiency unruffled by my insufficiency guys we are so ruffled by our lack and our inadequacy that we cover it up with all kinds of drama and all kinds of bravado and all kinds of stuff. The, to be unruffled by your insufficiency. I saw the ruffling of uh, Jason's insufficiency the night before I asked him not to take his notes and preach. I didn't hear it. His wife even heard it. But I saw it. He was highly uncomfortable as he made his way back to his room and I could see his face was tight but I didn't know what it was how bad it was but you should have seen how unruffled in his insufficiency he was the next day when he was standing there on stage with not a care in the world because now there was nothing he could do no notes, no nothing unruffled by his insufficiency it's a place where nakedness is okay you're not ruffled by it God wants, uh, yeah, and that's part of it. And there's another part too which I'll touch. Yes, when, when we live like this, God does get the glory. Guys, whoever you reveal gets the glory. 
Whoever you reveal in your life is the one who gets the glory. If I reveal myself, like when this lady's ear was healed, who was revealed? I made such a, such a strong attempt to make sure that the Father was revealed because I knew after three days of teaching that I could easily reveal myself. And if I reveal myself, who would get the glory? I would. If you reveal Acts 29, who will get the glory? Acts 29 will. If you reveal your denomination, who will get the glory? Your denomination will. <laughs> Depending on who you reveal in your Christian actions, that is what, or that is who gets the glory. You reveal the Father, the Father gets the glory. There are different ways we reveal it. There are different ways we reveal it. I could have prayed for this woman and uh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Abba, for the gift that's resident in me. Hallelujah. We got amazing Christian ways of doing this, man. Yeah. Unruffled by my insufficiency. This is a key one, eh? To be at peace with your insufficiency. This is not what the world teaches us. Advertisements sell things because you are ruffled by your insufficiency. So let me put some cream on your face and you'll look better. And really you don't. Kamal and I discovered that long ago. Thirdly... <laughs> Thirdly, guys, to be excitedly dependent on Papa. Not, ah, uh, got to depend on him again. To be excitedly dependent on Papa. Look at her. She just walks ahead. I, I was thinking of this. I was walking with Jason and the kids at the airport. It's a strange place to meet him. But, and, and they were walking ahead. Eh? Mariana was sitting with the one that can't walk yet. And, and the other two kids were walking. And at, at times, you could see them coming towards the escalator and you would think they can't handle it and, and yet there is an excited looking at Papa and they'll stand there and then look at him look at him and then he'll come and say okay go ahead uh, there's an excited dependence on Papa helplessness always has an excited element in it I'm helpless but I'm excited because my Papa's going to help me down this escalator and fourthly a refusal to claim ownership of one's own gifts and graces. Meaning, you're aware that you have gifts. You're aware that you have the grace of God to function in a certain way. But refusal to claim ownership. And I have done this. I have claimed ownership of some of the gifts I have and the grace. And I've seen it in my words. I was thinking of it this morning. How many times I've said, it's because of the grace in me. And there's a claiming of ownership. And yet, not to claim it and let it function. Ah. Oh. This is where Eddie stands out. That man has grace and gifts in him, but he never claims ownership. Guys, the more conscious you are of your successes and failures, of your distinctions and your distortions, the more you will look at yourself and the less helpless you are. It comes back to this whole thing of being unruffled in my inadequacy. The more you are someone who looks at your success and looks at your failure, failure, looks at your distinctive ways and looks at your distortions, the more you are focusing on yourself and the less you are helpless. Are they? It goes against the grain of everything the world teaches us. The more I look at, the more I think, oh, I did this successfully. The more I think, oh, that was a failure. The more I think, well, that was good. Uh, this is such a weakness. The more I focus on myself, the less helpless I'll be because now I'll try to cover it myself. There's a tendency. It's a fig leaf thing. It started long ago, guys. Long ago started. 
cover things with fig leaves. So in a sense, helplessness is directly proportional to transparency. You want to measure helplessness, you'll know a helpless person when you see their transparency. I will know, you don't need to know, we will know. We will know you're helpless when your life is transparent. We disguise our lives because we are not helpless, so we help ourselves. A, a child is transparent. That's why they say things they should not be saying. Helplessness will always show in transparency. Sorry? Uh, not happy with our weakness, unruffled in our insufficiency. Not necessarily happy, but unruffled. Someone who's transparent is usually someone who's dependent. I'm not talking about someone who is um, uh, speaks their mind without thinking. I'm talking about someone who's transparent. Is usually someone who is who understands helplessness. Jesus was like this, guys. He was. <laughs> this is ridiculous. He was conscious of his inability to do anything apart from his father. Just think of it. I mean, I've, I know this, but just think of it. He's the son of God, and he's conscious of his inability to do anything without his father. So he determined not to speak his own words, not to follow his own plans, not to work his own mighty works. And he goes ahead and says in John 15, 5, Jacob, uh, listen to this. He says to me, Jacob, apart from me, you can do nothing. But before he said that to me, in John 15, 5, in John 5, 19, he said, just so you know, I as a son can do nothing by myself either. He says the son can do nothing by himself. So Jesus was conscious of his inability to do anything apart from the father. He didn't have this conceited thought. And if there was anyone who could have a conceited thought about who he was, it's him, man. Philippians 2.9 says, 2.6-9 says, that knowing that he was equal with God. If there was anyone who could be conceited, it was him saying, after all, I am God. But he didn't have this conceited, self-righteous thought that he can do a thing if God, his father, helps him. You see how far we have to go, guys. So this week, guys, try to develop the awe, the wonder, the helplessness, and the dependence of a child. It's an awe and wonder helplessness. Huh? It's not a, oh, I'm useless, I'm a worm helplessness. It's an awe and wonder helplessness. I want to cultivate this man. Might, I was telling the Lord, Father, it might take a couple of years. And I feel God saying, well, start today. Pardon? Yeah, great. So start there. Start there. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? That takes us to the second part, guys. And it's a completely different shift now. So we've talked about helplessness. And now we'll talk about something completely different which still has to do with, I will not be afraid, what can mortal man do to me? Guys, there is helplessness on one side, and then there is this thing called authority on the other side. And they are not oxymorons, they are like 
uh, gravity and aerodynamics. So on one hand, you begin to understand helplessness and walk in it. But on the other hand, is my teaching making you feel sleepy? Yeah. <laughs> She's going home to sleep. You're on video. I know, I know. No, we don't need to say that. Someone just left the building to go home and sleep. It's a free church. So, guys, so on one hand there is helplessness, and then on the other hand there is this thing that we are called to function in, which is authority. It would seem like two completely different things, and yet they have to come together. On one hand, Jesus empties himself. On the other hand, he is Lord of all. And so I just want to touch on authority. Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, teach nations, and so on. Guys, uh, here's the definition of authority. Mastery, power of rule, Those are enough. Mastery or power of rule. That gives you a good idea. So, all authority, Jesus said, in heaven and earth. So what is the jurisdiction that Jesus operates in? What are the towns or districts he operates in? He operates in the district of heaven and he operates in the district of earth. And all authority in both these jurisdictions, all mastery, all power of rule has been given to me. Therefore, you guys can now go ahead and cleanse lepers. You guys can go ahead and heal the sick. You guys can go ahead and cast demons out. You guys can go ahead and teach. You guys can go ahead and help people observe what I've taught them. Guys, this is just the first level of authority. It is given to everybody in this room who knows Jesus Christ as Lord. This is the first level of authority. It's called authority that is delegated to you. As in given to every believer. And along with that comes the promise that as you go, know that I'll always be with you. This is what we talked about last week when we mentioned the name of this guy called Hilkiah in Isaiah 22 verses 20 to 23, which you have all read as because you go over your notes every week. And so, oh well, uh, and so I, I always forget that the video is watching. I was going to say something sarcastic. Uh, so. <laughs> Hilkiah was this guy who um, uh, was given the keys to open and shut doors. We talked about this last week. Guys, the first level of authority is given to everybody here, saying, here, you go ahead. I have power of mass, power of rule and mastery over the entire heaven and earth. So Marcus, you go ahead. I give you now power of rule and mastery to go and cleanse lepers, heal the sick, raise the dead, teach people about me. That is, applies to everybody. It's called delegated authority. That's the first level. But guys, there's more to it than that. Eh? There is another level of authority that comes by virtue of my position. There's another level of authority that comes by virtue of my position. And here's how it works. And this is something we don't walk in, eh? because it's not the way we think. Because I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, and to begin with, we don't think that's really a reality. But because we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, 
And because Christ is seated above all principalities and powers, thrones, dominions, and every name that is named, therefore I have authority over those things that are under me. We don't think like this, but it's time we began to, because we're entering our next seven-year phase. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. So how does that work, Jacob? Your life is hidden in Christ, and Christ who is in heaven lives in you. It's that moment, and I've explained this before, it's that moment when a child has just been born and they haven't cut the umbilical cord yet. And so on one hand, the child is connected to the mother. On the other hand, the child is out in the world. It's a dual existence suddenly. Both connected to the mother's womb and out in the open. This is our condition. I am hidden with Christ and seated with Christ wherever the throne of God is. And at the same time, Christ who is king over the entire universe dwells in me. So where am I seated with Christ? Over, above all principalities, powers, dominions, names, thrones. When I begin to let this soak, I'll understand that there is a certain authority that comes to me just because of how I'm located positionally. For instance, when a lion cub is sitting next to a full-grown male lion, and there's a hyena cub nearby or a calf of a giraffe nearby. Because of the way the food chain is around, arranged, we know who is king. We know that the lion cub sitting next to the full-grown male lion has authority over the little calf or over a hyena cub. doesn't matter. We know how it works because the food chain is arranged a certain way. Just like the food chain has authority structures, when it comes to the spiritual chain, there is an authority structure. And I, as a lion cub sitting next to the full-grown male lion called Aslan, have authority just by virtue of my position and my pedigree. So what should the devil do then to make sure that Acts 29 never walks in it? Cause you never to ponder on these truths. Render you earthbound. So that you never come into this understanding of authority positionally. Do you know how helpful it is when we understand the first layer of delegated authority, the second layer of positional authority, and now we go to the third layer? Especially when you confront the, the realms of darkness. Remember, guys, sickness is a weapon used by the powers of darkness and should be resisted with all your strength instead of accepting it as part of life. I've never said this line here and I'm saying it very clearly to you. Sickness is not a part of life. Sickness is an enemy and it is a weapon used by the powers of darkness to afflict, to inflict, to use, be used as weaponry against people made in the image of God. Begin to resist it instead of saying, this is life. This, if it is life, then you, 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 we are still stuck in the phase called fall. And we do not think of a phase called redemption. Already not yet, I understand, it will happen. But see it as an enemy. Because if you don't see something as an enemy, why would you resist it? Why would you resist something that's not an enemy? If it's part of life, there'll be, a, there'll be a lack in your heart to resist something. The third level of authority, guys, can be drawn from Jesus' story again. Why was Jesus given 
a name above all names and given the authority. He was as king over everything and everything should bow to him. Why was he given that name above all names? How? Why was Jesus given a name above all names? More? More? Philippians 2, 6-9. He emptied himself and made himself submissive to the will of God and obedient unto. Therefore, God has now raised him up and given him a name above all names. So that at his name, every name above, as every tongue confesses. Guys, the third level of authority is when you begin to submit and uh, live in in a kind of obedience that is ridiculous to the nature of God. You submit and live obedient to the nature of God. And in the process, what happened to Jesus now happens to you. Because the moment you are submitted to the nature and order of God here on earth, everything that is subject to Christ is now subject to you. I'll repeat that. When you submit not to the name of Jesus, when you submit not to a set of rules, but when your heart begins to actively, with mistakes, with failures and getting up, when your heart actively submits to the nature of God. And I deliberately use the word nature, to the nature of God. Then you will find that all the things that are subject to Christ are now subject to you. Christ did that. Christ submitted to the nature of the Father, obedient unto death. And what happened? He was given a name that is above every name. What happens then is you suddenly begin to reign as co-heir. Romans chapter 8. You become a co-heir. Now it's not delegated authority. It's not even positional authority. It is because everything that is subject to Christ is now subject to you because you are reigning with him as co-heir. This is why the demonic... Just one sec, Matt. This is why the demonic realm begins to now say, Hmm, Jesus I know. And Jason I am familiar with and I have heard about him. But who are you? Because now it's no longer delegated authority. The sons of Sceva were trying delegated authority on a, on a, on a complicated level. We adjure you in the name of Jesus Christ whom Paul preaches. It was a double delegation. It's not delegated authority. It's not even by virtue of position. It's because now you are known because of the character that you have taken, the nature that you submit to. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, bring it from the head to the heart by coming and confronting the fact that, Father, here I know you love me, here I think that you are standoffish. There's a gap, Abba, help me. It's not a true gap. But here I know you are kind. Here I think you couldn't care less. Here I know you're a deliverer. Here I think you've abandoned me. Here I think you are gentle, but here I think you're always angry and hard to appease. Begin there. Of life experience of 
the world and it didn't always work out. And so how are you going to make your heart think any different? Again, it comes back to this one fundamental thing which I taught for two days in Vernon with regard to healing. I must have such an inviolable understanding of the nature of God that no experience will color his nature. Inviolable. Matt, there are some areas where I, I, I trust your nature. You're human. You're full of flaws. Uh, as we all are. As we all are. So even though that is there, there are times when there are some parts of you that I can trust where regardless of whether you come early or late, there are certain things that I know you can be dependent on. And you are just human. If, if, that, if I've been convinced of that over the last five or six years, how much more a God who is a million times better than me? At least. Just so you feel good about yourself. <laughs> the point being, guys, uh, it, it happens through relationship. It happens through uh, arriving at this place of the inviolability of the nature of God. It cannot happen except through relationship. But this has to now come down here. This third layer of authority I'm talking about, guys, uh, it's an outcome of being indistinguishable from your king in, in terms of being submitted to his nature. Indistinguishable from your king. When the demonic sees you, it doesn't see delegated authority. It doesn't even see authority by virtue of your position. It sees an authority that comes because you have become indistinguishable with your king. Not because you're perfect, but because you seem to have been obsessed with, consumed with, submitting to the nature of your king. And this kind of authority has the capacity to enforce things legally. Whatever then is that is subject to Christ is now become subject to you. It's powerful, man. It carries in it the capacity to legally enforce decrees on the powers of darkness. And so I'd suggest to you, begin to operate out of these three layers. Build them one by one. Understand what he says in Matthew 28. Understand what he says in Ephesians 2.6. And then understand this third level. So you've got helplessness on one side and authority on the other. There is a fourth level of authority which I'll just touch on and that is apostolic authority and it's not, it's not specific to apostles. What does the word ap apostolic mean? 2009, 2010... We thought about this. Sent. So there is an authority which comes with one's being sent. Yes, Jesus said in Matthew 20, go. But he, he also sends you on specific assignments. And when he sends you on specific assignments, with that comes a certain authority. Like for instance, in Lufthansa, all the employees are told, go and do your work well. But then someone may come along to Noria and say, I'm sending you on this specific assignment. And suddenly, in that area, she has more authority than the others. That's what I'm talking about. So, for instance, Paul goes to um, Malta, I think, or the place before that, Pam Pamphylia. I'm not too sure. He goes there, and there's this famous magician called Elimas, a sorcerer. And he's trying to prevent the gospel from entering the land, because Paul is witnessing to this guy called Sergius Paulus. And uh, what does Paul do? <laughs> he turns around to this famous magician and he says to him, hey, the guy was called the Great One actually. Gretzky wasn't the first guy. So he turns to 
the magician and he says to him, here's what's going to happen to you for a time now. A blindness is going to descend on your eyes and you will not be able to see. That kind of authority Paul had because he was being sent into a place to break open that place so that the kingdom could enter. Paul talks about the same thing in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 10 to 12 where he says to the Corinthians, listen guys, I bond you. I birthed you. And so I wouldn't be boasting if I say that in terms of authority, I do have authority over this fear that I have cultivated. Go ahead. He's sensing it from God. Because otherwise it wouldn't happen. He's not cursing the guy in the name of the devil. He's saying, now, this is what's going to happen. It's, and why would uh, God wouldn't validate something that you say if it wasn't a God thing. Another great story. You should go read it. It'll blow your mind when you get to the last verse, verse 14. A guy called Joshua. He operated in all these four authorities. First, he was delegated. How? Moses called him and said, here, you're delegated as my second in command. When I am done, you will take over. Delegated. Second, he operated by virtue of his position. What was his position? He was the next generation leader of Israel. And God said, wherever you go, I'll cause you to prosper. Stay in my word and I'll open paths for you. Wherever you set your feet, you'll do well. Matthew, come up here fast. Fast. Come fast, man. Run. Run. Father, I lay hands on this boy. I lay hands on this boy. I thank you for spiritual depths that are being plumbed. Spiritual depths that are being plumbed. Seed that is lying seed. Successful, significant man stands here. Successful, significant man stands here. Because you have chosen to meditate on the word that is spoken. Therefore, I will cause you to inherit the land. You will inherit the land. You will not be someone who insignificantly passes through life because you have chosen to meditate on my word. Therefore, I will prosper you and cause you to inherit the land. And I bless this man. This church blesses this man and releases the name of Christ, the the author of his destiny over him right now. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And so here is Joshua, guys. Delegated authority and then he's positional authority because he is now one who has been chosen as leader and then he was a guy who followed after God. How do we know that? Remember when Moses would go and stand before God in the tabernacle what would Joshua be doing? Not cooking manna. He'd be standing at the gate of his tent looking at Moses man. Learning the ways of God. When Moses went up the mountain Joshua followed him and was waiting there to see the God of Israel while the rest were shivering in their boots saying don't talk to us. We tremble at the sight on Mount Sinai. What was Joshua doing? Halfway up the mountain looking at the God of the universe. Here we are talking about authority that is not delegational or not positional. But an authority that comes by walking in the nature. And a a hunger and thirst after God. He learned well. And then finally you see in Joshua 10. This thing that comes with apostolic authority. Where now he's being sent by God. To fight the Amalekites. The Amalekites, five kings of five of them came. <laughs> and God has told Joshua, go and fight them. And he goes to fight them. And uh, here's what God says to them. Go and fight them. And as soon as you get there, they'll start running. 
So he goes to fight them. And then they start running and he can't kill all of them fast enough. Because evening is coming. So what does he do? For the first time in the history of the world, (laughs) a man looks up at the sky and says, sun stand still. And the sun stands still for 24 hours. Or the earth stopped rotating or however it worked. And he slaughtered the Amalekites. And verse 14 says, never in the history of a man, never in the history of the world did a man ever command the sun to stop. Never in the history of the world did God listen the way he did to a man when he said sun stands still. Apostolic authority as an authority for a specific task to be accomplished. Mastery, power of rule over even the elements of nature. Four different layers, guys. The fourth one is for specific assignments and tasks. When we, as Acts 29, decide to go into Southeast Asia over the next seven years, we go with a certain scent authority because this was not our idea. Never our idea. Never dreamt of this. And you saw the picture. Parable, pictorial parables for us to enter into. Balance it well, guys. Helplessness and authority. Work it together. It will be to our great advantage and to your great advantage. So pursue helpless dependence. Pursue holy, holy obedience. And you'll have the mind of Christ as you function on earth. You'll be useful. You'll be unafraid. You'll be a servant. And you'll be a battle axe in the hands of God. You'll be useful. You'll be unafraid. You'll be a servant. But you'll be a battle axe. A battle axe. So Father, we bless you, Abba. We thank you that you are a God uh, not f- uh, full of contradictions, but a God who, who, who has um, uh, non-clashing clashing natures that exist in perfect harmony. Just as you used to call yourself Son of God and Son of Man. Here are two characteristics. One of absolute helplessness and one of amazing authority. Coming together. I pray Jesus that since we are the body of Christ here on earth. And since we are called to walk as Christ walked the earth. Combine in us as a people Jesus. Helplessness. And authority. Teach us Lord for the next seven year cycle is upon us. And we want to do well. Why? Simply to please you. So we bless you Jesus. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. Amen. Yeah.